Welcome to Season 4 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce you to a new sponsor of the show, Basecamp. Throughout my career, whether it was at my own agency or now as a consultant, Basecamp is what I've always relied on to help keep projects on track, on schedule, and on budget. It takes a straightforward approach to project management, it streamlines workflow management, and definitely keeps the team in the loop and on top of ongoing updates, which are all major components in a smooth running operation. No matter if it's a simple campaign or a multi-million dollar project, Basecamp has been a key ingredient in the recipe for a successful project and business. Go to Basecamp.com Agile and sign up today to start a free 30-day trial. There's no credit card required and you can cancel online at any time. If you want to know if Basecamp is right for your team, signing up for that free trial is the best way to do so. Remember to go to Basecamp.com Agile, that's Basecamp.com A-G-I-L-E, to get your free trial. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. Now, let's meet our guest. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the power of always-on omni-channel marketing and how AI and next-best-action approaches can work together to create a better customer experience. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Shoal Perlman, VP Product, One-to-One Customer Engagement, Decisioning, and AI at Pega. Shoal, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this. This is a topic that is very much top of mind to me, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of people listening as well. And so, you know, lo- looking forward to this. But first, why don't we start by you giving a little background on yourself as well as what you're currently doing at Pega? Absolutely. Yep. So I was a coder starting from when I was a little kid with uh, peaks and pokes on the Commodore 64. Nice. My first uh, professional job was I joined a, a company called Micromuse, which was a service management company based out of the UK. And it was all about listening to events to figure out what's going wrong and who needs to fix them. Um, so that really got me into listen, you know, event processing and event correlation. And I uh, really learned from that that user experience is really what allows a product to break through. So there were other products in the market that kind of did the same thing, but they were slower and clunkier. And you know, that's kind of why that product became a, became a leader in its space. I also got to learn about what I call holistic product, where it's not really your code. That's not the only thing. It's the whole ecosystem. You know? Can third parties make money from knowing your product? That company then got acquired by IBM. So I got to spend some fun time learning about how you know, inside the machine worked <laughs> in IBM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I was one of those people that pushed back a lot. I was asked to rewrite a web-based UI I had in Java Swing, if you remember that. Oh, right, yeah. I thought I was going to get in trouble for pushing back, but it turned out that um, that actually put me in good graces of several executives, and they asked me to run uh, a couple of different acquisitions in the marketing tech space. And uh, that's where I got to learn about SaaS and data science. And um, I just loved it. It's something that I found really fun getting to see customers adopting new features and just knowing that you're generating value for them. So after I've done that for a little while, we used to have this conversation pretty often about 
like, well, what if we could take inbound marketing where we're using math to actually decide like what the best thing to say to somebody is? What if we could actually apply that to outbound, you know, to emails? And then I, I came across Pega and I realized like how, well, Pega actually has the technology to do just that, but it hadn't really become ubiquitous yet. It really needed to break through. It needed to have a much better customer experience. We needed to help the ecosystem learn how to get on board with that. And um, so I'm really glad that I joined and I've been running product for uh, for that part of the business for uh, for about four years now. It's been a lot of fun. Nice, nice. That's great. Well, yeah, that and that brings us right up to today and, and to the topic that uh, that we're going to dive in deeper on. So let's let's start though by for some of the people listening may not be up to speed on some of the terms that I, I threw out in that in that introduction. So how would you describe next best action approaches and you know as opposed to more traditional marketing automation or even customer journey orchestration. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think of it as the difference between starting with the product versus starting with the customer. So in traditional campaign marketing, you usually you have a product and you're finding who could I talk to this, who could I talk to about this product, right? With next best action, it's kind of the opposite. It's the idea that you have a customer right now. You have a precious moment with them. You could say one thing to them. You could start one conversation. What's it going to be? You don't want to squander that moment. So the idea is that all the different things that you could talk about, they all have a little battle and they (laughs) duke it out for what is the right balance between what this customer is going to want to hear about, like what will they care about and what value will it generate for the business? That's really what I think Next Best Action is, is about and how it's different from kind of the traditional campaign approach. Nice. And, you know, it really started in call centers right? Where, you know, you call up to cancel your service and that person has one thing they can say to you to try to retain you. Right. And it was okay for it to take, you know, a second, right? But once you start getting into web-based personalization, you're not going to wait a second, right? It has to happen in 200 milliseconds. And then we started doing it for outbound, you know, for email processing, and it became economically feasible to do that at scale once we can scale out on the cloud. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of been the progression of uh, next best action. So what's what's the role that artificial intelligence and machine learning play in a next best action approach? So you can't really do next best action without machine learning. And the reason is is because the core of it is all about understanding what each person's propensity is to say yes if you were to start a certain conversation with them, right? So you can, you know, if you have a large data science team, you could build thousands of these models But then as soon as you start using them, things start changing, right? Your competitors come up with a new product. You know, the environment changes, what people care about changes, right? So the only way to really be able to do that at scale is by using machine learning to calculate those those propensities. But one of the interesting things that we learned is you can't just expect marketers to be comfortable with letting the AI run rampant and experiment randomly on people. You know, you got to protect your brand. And so we've had to put a lot of effort into that specific area, how to get marketers comfortable that they won't be saying something that's just completely ridiculous. Like, thank you for renewing your subscription when you didn't renew it, (laughs) you know? Right, right. Yeah. And I think that is, it is a, it's a definitely a mind shift for marketers that, you know, once you kind of wrap your head around it and, and understand it, it's, 
you know, as, as you've already said, it, it makes, it makes a lot of sense and it, it works incredibly well, but to kind of expand on that, could you elaborate a little bit on, you know, what, what are some of the benefits of this approach that's always on next best action for, for a marketer? Yeah. So I like to think of it in terms of who's getting the benefit. There's the benefit to the business and there's the benefit to its customers. So for the customers, the benefit is, you know, they don't know about any of this next best action stuff happening in the background. From their point of view, they're just getting more relevant conversations. They're getting emails that talk about something that's useful to them. It means they don't unsubscribe. Right. It means that email can stay, you know, a useful communication channel for the business. But, you know, that's not enough, right? If you're a business, you want to be able to measure it, right? And so... I think around seven years ago was really when this approach started to take off with our early adopters. And uh, we did a couple of you know, somewhat informal studies with those customers, and we found that it can generate $15 per year per customer, which may not sound like a lot, but if you have 10 million customers, you're talking about $150 million a year. Right, right. And um, that wasn't really good enough. So we, we, uh, we actually had an economic study commissioned by Forrester and they validated it. So they went to some of our customers and they did research and they found out that it was actually three times more than that. Wow. Obviously, you have to be the type of business that has customers spending, you know, $100 a year with you. And you have to have a couple different things that you could talk to them about. So like telecoms and banks, those are really, you know, the, the pioneers in this area. Yeah. As I was saying a little bit before, you know, it, it also requires that marketers think a little bit differently, not completely differently, but, you know, thinks a little bit differently. So, you know, a bit of a mindset shift. And how would you describe that way of thinking that successful marketers have when they really, when they embrace this approach and really get the most from next best action? I think it is a tough shift. And that's because marketers really have been trained to think about segmentation, right? Like in business school, marketing 101, we always start by talking about segmentation, right? Who's the right customer for my product? And in order to shift to this approach, you kind of have to flip it around and you have to just think about, well, what are all the things I could say? How do I make those as interesting and meaningful as possible? And don't worry so much about who you're going to say it to. You want to give room to to the AI to experiment a little bit, right? But like what I was saying before, we still need the marketers to think about protecting their brand. They want to make sure that the different things that you could say have filters on them, right? So they won't, AI won't even consider them in situations where it doesn't make sense. But uh, that's really been a shift. Marketers have to think about as broad of a possible audience who they could speak to, you know, about about each of these, these conversations and just limit it by who's eligible for it. Like, is it legal to offer it to somebody of the right age? And who's applicable? Like, if they already have something, don't bother talking about that thing. And one of the more interesting ones that we've started to focus on with marketers is also limiting by, like, who's it suitable for? You know, if you have a product that's like a rewards card, but you know somebody's never going to get that benefit from that rewards card, like, don't even consider it for them. It's just not suitable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, having, having used the, the Pega platform a bit, I, it's, it's really interesting once you start going through those, you know, you mentioned eligible, applicable, suitable, it's really interesting to kind of go through those. And yeah, I do think that the suitability, that's a really interesting one of, you know, just because we can offer something to someone, does it actually make sense? If they don't use the product a lot, are we going to push a subscription on them, for instance, or, 
you know, or, or something like that. So I think that's, that's really interesting. And I, you know, another thing to, to go back to one of your other points is kind of that, that business lever piece as well, right? So in other words, in addition to what, what you just mentioned, there is, there is the ability to kind of nudge and, and if we really want to offer something um, as a business that we could show to customers, is, could you talk a little bit about how that works? Yeah, that's one of the other interesting things that we found out about this is we have this very theoretical model that we start by explaining, right? We're going to take the propensity for someone to say yes, we're going to multiply it by the value to the business, and we're going to get the expected value and choose the best one, right? But in practice, what we find is that every business has certain uh, promotions that they're trying to run at a given point. I'll use that word as a very marketing-centric term. Yeah. But what I mean is, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I was talking to a telecoms company and they had acquired a wireline business, right? And they actually lost money every time they signed up a new wireline customer. And I asked them like, why would you ever pitch this, right? If you lose money? And they said, well, we paid a lot of money to buy this company and we made a commitment to Wall Street that we were going to win a certain amount of market share, right? So we kind of had to force our, our, you know, our decisioning system to put those conversations in front of people a certain number of times. So that's why we introduced this concept of a lever where you want to kind of artificially crank some of these conversations up for a limited period of time because there's a cost, right? If you're talking to somebody about a wireline, but they might really be interested in, you know, mobile (laughs) service, you just squandered that opportunity to talk to them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's, uh, what are are some of the process changes that marketers should keep in mind? So, you know, maybe how campaigns or content are created or, you know, how, how that might shift once, um, you know, once they're using next best action approaches. Yeah. What's interesting with next best action is you want to have as much variety of content in the system as possible. And so one of the things that we've had to do is we've had to invest in how could we make that really easy for the line of business to generate a lot of these ideas, have 20 different ways of saying the same thing, slightly different text, have 30 different images that are all roughly the same thing, right? Have 10 different verbal scripts that somebody in the call center could say that are really all for the same, to start the same conversation. And in order to do that, we've had to make sure that we had a lot more focus on approvals and compliance because every single one of these ways of saying something still has to be on point and, you know, relevant to the business and you know something that the brand would feel comfortable putting in front of people but we've had to kind of get them to stop thinking about targeting and thinking much more about what is the content and how do i constrain it using those rules that we talked about before yeah a lot of the focus has also been on data we've you know we always think of marketers as caring a lot about data but one of the things that we've had to focus much more on is making sure that the machine learning has access to useful predictors. And in order to do that, we've had to listen to a lot of behavioral data. So for example, like clickstream data coming to a website and summarize it. We had to get it in a format where in that moment, you already have it pre-aggregated. Like you know how many times did somebody go to the mortgage calculator in the, se- you know, in the last seven days? That has to be sitting there already pre-calculated. Got it. So yeah, so like that, basically planning ahead to um, to be listening for those things. Yeah. Yeah, always listening and always pre-aggregating the data. Yeah, 
Yeah. Touched a little bit on this earlier, but let's let's get back to another thing where, um, you know, it, it can be admittedly a little scary for a marketer that that has traditionally maintained a high degree of control over exactly what audiences see as well as when and where they see it. Right. So, um, you know, we touched on this a little bit when we were talking about business levers, but next best action puts some of that control over, you know, in the hands of, of AI um, and, you know, all the, all the things we mentioned, notwithstanding, what advice would you give to that marketer who may be reluctant to give up that measure of control? I mean, the first thing I would say is we definitely feel your concern. We, we get it. Yeah. And I think a lot of it stems from even when we find, you know, the people who are going to be our champions in these organizations, they're answering to people who are in the line of business who have quarterly targets. Those yeah. people don't care about, you know, choosing their best thing for the customer. Like if you're in a credit card division, you want to sell credit cards. You know, we get that. Right. So one of the things besides levers that we were talking about is we've had to introduce this way of allowing these marketers to still get comfortable that they can meet their targets that they're accountable to. And we call that scenario planning. So like, let's say you are on the hook for generating 10,000 mortgage leads this quarter, right? And you know that you could lever up the mortgage conversations, but that's going to come at the opportunity cost of, let's say, credit cards. We want to be able to show those marketers the trade-off, right? That opportunity cost and let them make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. So our advice is, you know, you're definitely not the first to do this. The science works, but um, we feel the concern. And, um, you know, we know we've, we've got to give you ways of turning those knobs and, you know, definitely show the results off once you get, you know, you get some positive results and you start to win more people over. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, yeah, that's scenario planning. I mean, that's, that's very powerful because it does, yeah, it does give control over, um, over things. And yeah, sometimes someone just is responsible for something and they need to, to your, you know, to your point, they need to sell 10,000 widgets or whatever the case may be. But um, yeah, being able to see, I think longer term in the business, I would imagine it, um, you know, it starts to, it starts to become clearer and clearer that showing the right thing to the right customer is going to have the, the better long-term results, right? Right. But we have to be able to simulate it. Yeah. If you can't simulate it, you just can't win people over. And they just sort of want to stick to the targeting. Yeah, absolutely. So how does a business ensure that they're able to still, you know, prioritize the business needs in an approach that has this large AI component? So, you know, we just talked about two of the, you know, the tactical approaches to, you know, that the marketers can take. One of them is, you know, the levers and there's simulations with scenario planning. But I do think that there has to be some sort of governance board. And we see the best in class setting up these boards where the lines of businesses participate, Right. Let them communicate what their expectations are, what goals they have, and show them what those trade-offs are, right? And usually once you get that, you know, you get that, that rhythm going, it allows them to get comfortable allowing the machine learning to make more decisions. But, uh, you know, they definitely need to keep seeing the numbers. It needs to be in front of them regularly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So in your experience, what's an often maybe underestimated benefit of adopting this always on omni-channel next best action approach? Is there anything that marketers tend to only realize after they've adopted and really started using the approach? One of the things that's that's interesting is that the content in order to survive has to get better. Like every line of business has to be producing content that is going to have a high propensity for people to care about it. And that ends up sort of creating this internal competition where everybody's content just gets, gets better. Yeah. 
There's another thing that we found also that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of it at first. And that is, you're always going to have some portion of the customer base who are what we call underserved. These are people that, you know, you run a simulation, you look at what everybody's propensity will be, and you realize that you got nothing for them, Mm. nothing that they will care about. You've sort of weeded out everything that you could have talked to them about and everything that's left, they just don't care about. And once you know what that is, you can start to ask your marketers to create content specifically for them to fill in that, that, uh, you know, that, that underserved space. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that alone could massively increase engagement rates and conversion rate. Like once you find the right thing, right? Yeah. Cause those people were just sort of left, you know, the left out. Right. Right. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up here, uh, what's a piece of advice you would have for marketers who want to shift to what we've been talking about this always on next best action approach. What's some, what's a first step they should take? I think, you know, from what I see, you really need to find two types of allies within the business. You need a data ally, you need a business ally. So the data ally, you know, that could be like a chief data officer, you know, a chief analytics officer. It doesn't even have to be a chief, right? It just needs to be somebody who's driving a mission that aligns with yours. Someone who has access to data, someone who knows what data the company has. And, you know, often there might be a digital executive who, you know, is in charge of, you know, the systems that generate and capture customer behaviors. You definitely need that person on your side because they're going to feed off of what you're trying to do, right? And it'll be a very mutually benefit relation, very mutual beneficial relationship. Yeah. yeah. The other type of ally is that business ally, right? It's, it's often going to be somebody who's a step above the individual lines of business. Somebody who maybe has like a retention target for retaining customers or cross-selling between different types of lines of business. And, you know, together, these people will really be able to thrive on the, you know, on each other's missions. They reinforce each other. So I think you need to find those folks. Oh, that's great. Well, Shul, thanks so much for joining the show. For those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. Um, whenever I, you know, do an interview or write a post, um, I'll put it on there. And um, I look forward to getting to get to see people's comments. It's a fun space. Yeah, definitely. Well, again, I'd like to thank Shoal Perlman, VP Product, One-to-One Customer Engagement, Decision, and AI for PEGA for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.